Welcome back to another episode of Raising Up Cops with me, Madonna, and my wonderful co-host, Laura. We are excited to come back and chat with you today. And today we are taking it back to history. Yes, but not just any history, our own family history. That's right. We are digging up some old stuff from past generations or even as close to our parents' generations to bring you some lessons learned, so to speak. Yes, and Laura is actually the one that suggested we do an episode talking about this, specifically talking about the things we do not want to pass on to our kids. Yes, we have a lot of traditions that we do want to carry on. We have a lot of good ones, but we can also all admit that there are things we don't want to share because they aren't necessarily positive, right? So Laura, can you tell us a little bit more about what brought about this idea? Yeah, I was listening to this um podcast about life coaching. And my sister had recommended this episode that was about um, Asian life coaches and the things that they overcome as, as first generation immigrants, like the things that they had to unlearn to become successful in their careers. And, you know, the, the, it was so sweet. Like one of the interviews was all about this girl who did all the expected things, got married at the right time, had the 2.5 kids, got the house, got her medical degree. Like she cut, like checked off all the boxes and just at the end was, was miserable. Or I would say halfway through her life was miserable and was trying to figure out what led to that point. Like what made her choose medicine, trying to think back through therapy, her way through why medicine, if it makes me so unhappy. And Mm -hmm. so she brought up some really great points. And one of them was like very low threshold for risk-taking Like we have been conditioned by our parents or by our families to not do something risky, to not do things with unpredictable outcomes. We need to like medicine. The path is very straightforward. It's been walked before. We know exactly how to get from, you know, A to B and B to C. Whereas there are so many other career options where things are new and um, risk is involved, like um, business or even law, I would say has a lot of risk involved. So I feel like, uh, you know, I, when I heard her talking about that, you know, I was really amazed by it. And like, I felt like it really resonated, even though we're not from the same part of the world, but you know, that Eastern mentality that we have, uh, one of the things that she brought up, which I, I feel like I told her this, like, okay, I don't know this lady, but like, I have said this before. I'm the first person to say this, which is our parents did the riskiest thing in the world. They left an entire country. They left everything behind to come to this whole new country where they don't even speak the language. So when we take like little risks with our career, it's, it's weird how they react because like, we're just doing what they did, you know, but on a smaller scale, actually. (laughs) That's a really, really good point. That risk aversion is a huge one. I agree with that, Laura, but wait, before, before we dive into detail, I just want to put a disclaimer out there that we love our families very much. We love our parents very much. So this is not a, let's take this time to dog on our parents and everything they did. This is just, we have our own kids now and we can see the uh, consequence or the effects of all those things that we were taught and how we don't want those consequences for our kids. So back to this risk aversion, Laura, um, I remember that there was a time when I was about to be fresh out of college and I had prepared this entire presentation of I wanted to be do I wanted to do teach across America, which I don't know if you remember that program. Yes. But basically what you do is you go you go work in a very high risk, low income school in some random place. They give you a stipend to live there. And it's an experience. I mean, it's a difficult one, but it's an experience. And so I had prepared this whole 
um, presentation for my parents because I knew that the answer was going to be no. But I thought if I came across really well-researched and I had it all figured out, I even researched the, the place I would live and how much it would cost and transportation, everything. And I laid it out in this, in this uh, nice little PowerPoint, sat them down, talked to them. And they were like, hey, that was really great. Really, really awesome. All of these things that you said. Um, that's a heck no. <laughs> that was the answer. I mean, they didn't take time to think about it. It was just a heck no. And I remember feeling devastated and be like, I know you're worried about my safety, but I'm going to be this. And I know you're worried about my transportation, but I'm going to do this. And I know you're worried about this. I'm going to do that. And I remember being so devastated. They were like, absolutely not. You need to do something that's right here next to us so we can see you and know what you're doing. Take care of you. You're the girl. You're this, you're that. And that's definitely something that I remember to this day being like, I had it all figured out. <laughs> yes. You know, actually, I, you said something. I loved your disclaimer, of course, about loving our parents, but it reminded me of something that I noticed growing up was I noticed the things that my mom changed from what her mother used to do. Like there were things that her mom was big on that she was like, no, we're not going to do that in this family. So I feel like, you know, it's even this part is natural. Even the, the shedding of some generational yes. ideas <laughs> is very natural. Yeah. So tell me about the first, so we made a list, but tell me about the first one. Cause I know that this one is a big one for you, Madonna. Yes. Okay. So one of the things that I have definitely gotten instilled in me from when I was a very, very young child is this idea of what are people going to say about you? And right at the, so it's not that I don't get why they would say stuff like that. I think it does matter what we do and that it doesn't affect on a large scale, your reputation and, and all that stuff. I get that. But it was drilled in me so much, Laura, that I have now this very real tendency to people, please. And I care very much what everyone's going to say about something that I do. And it it's taken me a lot of work to kind of push that part of me down enough to where I can function. Because a lot of the times I would have to spend days calculating the thing that I'm going to do. Is this something that people are going to like? Or I would do way more than I feel comfortable with just because I know it's going to make somebody else happy. Or I would do way less than I want because I know I don't want to like step on somebody's toes or do something that's going to hurt or offend somebody. And once I do something, I spend days thinking about it. Is this good enough? Was it good enough? And I'm waiting for the praise and I'm waiting for the comments and the, the encouragement. I call it encouragement, but really it's just the affirmation or the validation that I did something good. And I, I hate that for me. I mean, I'm being totally honest. And it was just something that every time I was going to do something, I remember that phrase in Arabic, but my parents would say, well, what are the people going to say about you? And that's something that's been really difficult for me to grow out of, or I should say growing out of, because I have not finished growing out of it yet. Have you experienced that? Absolutely. I think that it just, it colors everything that we do, this tendency to people please. And I, you know, I don't know how much of it is um, because we're women. I don't know how much of it is the immigration part. I don't know how much of it is like generational, like it's, but it's a really a disease. Like, I feel like there's so many things that I want to do that. I spend so much time, like you were saying, worrying about what are people going to say that it's, it's kind of, um, it's paralyzing sometimes. Yeah. So for example, this past weekend, I was hanging out with my dad and, uh, bless him. He, he's so sweet and he loves us so much. And he was, he, his dream for me is to write that novel. He wants me to write the novel. Like that's, 
for him, that's like making it. I have to write the novel. Oh my God, your dad's my dad. Go ahead. (laughs) But for me, okay, first of all, I know when I write the novel, he's not going to like it. And so I can't even begin to like, I, I can start the novel, but I don't want to finish it because if I finish it, he'll read it. And if he reads it, he'll tell me, well, this is not what I imagined you would be writing. Like, <laughs> but he wants me to do it. So it's just this whole thing of like, I would love to please him and write the novel, but also I don't want him ever to read it <laughs> so that I can write the next one without yes. having to worry about it. You know? <laughs> yes. That's a tough one. So. I agree. Yeah. And okay, I think- but well, speaking of that then, Laura, so your next one, I guess is kind of tied really into this one. Go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfection. So everything has to be done just so. Everything has to be done to the highest standard every time. And I, you know, I do this actually with the kids and I see myself doing it. Like I, I have like an out of body moment. I see myself being psycho about like things and I, you know, and I can't seem to yet figure out the line between like good work and like bad work for me. Like there's only like amazing and everything else is like gray. I don't understand. Like the, there's no level lower. And there's this saying that like, you should be putting out B plus work. Like as an adult, you should be putting out B plus work because that means like you're moving forward and you're getting things done. But I do not I mean, even when the kids come back and they get like a 95 on the test, I'm like, well, what happened? Let's figure out what happened with these last five points. And I don't mean it, I don't mean it, but it's like, it's so ingrained in me. I don't know how to release it. I'm like, and I think it's a good thing. It's good to go back and see what you did wrong. But I also don't think I take those moments to be like, you got an A, you did great. Like, look at you. It's okay. You like forgot one for a minute or, or like, for example, my son's handwriting. Which, okay, so this is something where I really don't know where the line is. I'm, I'm like, you have to slow down and redo this. It's not legible, you know, but he's like, I'm done. I did it. Why do I have to do it again and again? And I can feel his frustration with me. Um, and I can't seem to like figure out how to pull myself out of that moment and be like, it's okay. The homework got done. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I remember a really specific moment. My dad was the perfectionist in our family. My mom is more like the free spirit like I am, but my dad was the real perfectionist. Wait, I take that back. My mom is also a perfectionist, but about different things. Okay. Anyways, I remember specifically, I thinking to myself, again, this people pleasing, I'm going to make a chart of all the things I need to get done. And that way my parents are going to be like, wow, look at you being so organized. And so I wrote down and I made a chart with boxes and I, I drew out the lines and I did all this stuff. And I was like, let me show this to my parents. So I show them this thing. What is the first thing my dad says? Why didn't you use a ruler to make these lines? They're all, they're all squiggly here. This is, if you're going to do it, do it right. Take the ruler, make the line straight. You can have exact boxes and whatever. And I just remember sitting there being like, dude, you overlooked like the whole thing (laughs) to tell me about the lines. Like I was, I remember being so deflated by that. And like looking back, I know that it wasn't out of a place of what you did was dumb. Okay. But that is how it felt. Like, even though it, it was him trying to make me even better, he, without that time to validate and, you know, find the good in what I did, it made me be like, oh, everything I did was, you know, like for lack of a better word, it was crap. Like it was, right. it was worthless really. Right. Yeah. So, and I, I remember actually, you know, I love that you talked about your dad with the ruler. Cause definitely my dad was big on the ruler. Um, one time, 
well, not one time, many times, I would like get an idea for something to sew, a dress to make or something like that. And my Tata would swoop in and just like finish the project because I wasn't doing it up to her standards, right? And so it got to the point where I'm just like, well, I, I can't possibly finish something up to standard. Like mm. it's, it becomes a reason to procrastinate, to not finish anything, right? Because, well, for sure, we're going to get halfway through, it's going to be messy and someone else would have done a better job. So let me just like, not let me put off doing this. You know, mm. you and I earlier had been talking about how this comes up in church with food or maybe yes. like having in hospitality with food that like, I am a good cook, but once any kind of pressure is on, forget it. Like I, 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 I give up. Like that's me to a T and, and this is actually something I talk about with my friends quite a bit because my friends are such good hosts. Like we go over, they make these meals and they're so happy to have us and they're generous. And I don't invite people over. And this is one of the biggest reasons why it's not because I don't, I would love to have people over at my house all the time. Maybe that's different for you, Laura, but I really would love to have people over at my house all the time. But that pressure of having to feed people really, really kills me. I, I think about my mother who would make feasts when we would just have somebody over for tea. And I mean, she would arrange the fruit in a beautiful way and she would make these wonderful cookies and she would make all of this stuff. And I'm like, I don't, is it so bad if I buy a store-bought cookie and just put it on a plate? Like, is that so bad? I think so. And that's, that's how I feel inside of me because of what I saw at this level, this standard of achievement, just to even feed a guest at your house makes it feel impossible for me to ever have people at my house like that. Yes. And I I have to say, like, I, I can see it in Abuna too. Like I will, I'll have a meal planned. Let's say we're having someone over and I'll have a meal plan. He'd be like, Oh, we need a second meet. And I'm like, when am I going to make a When, when would I make a second meet? Like what, where am I going to get the time and the organization to add a whole nother meet to this meal? Like, um, so I think that it just makes it, again, it's that idea of like, okay, if it can't be perfect, then let's just not do it. Like, let's just, but you know what, but you know what, Laura, just to show you how deep this was ingrained, even though I feel like this, I remember the first time that I was invited to the specific Egyptian friend's house and she had made spaghetti and meat sauce and a salad for all of us. And I remember thinking, that's it? Like, that's what you made? And in my head being like, oh my God, this is, I'm like, this is why people do this. This is why people do this. This is terrible. Like, this is a, this is a meal I would cook for my family at home. What's wrong with it? It's just that you're sharing it with other people. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but that's how deep it goes that even you kind of start to think like that and you have to force yourself. Don't, think like that. Don't be like that. You don't need to be. Yeah. And there's so many negative. Okay. I know we're like spiraling on this food thing, but I hate like overcooking and then having like, I mean, sometimes it's good to have endless leftovers, but I really don't like having endless leftovers. Like Mm. I don't like cooking so much, like spending hours and hours. And then people take like one bufteca. Okay. Like, why did I make 80? Like, what was the point of that? You know, and then I'm exhausted and then I can't like hang out with you because I'm I smell like chicken or whatever. <laughs> so I, yes, that whole, the food thing Defeats needs its the own, purpose. Yes. that's going to have its own thing. A whole Obviously, we're, that one runs deep for everybody. We're <laughs> <laughs> talking about food and being Egyptian. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, Laura, that kind of brings me to my next one, which was I, the, I feel very unable to trust my own decision-making. And I think this probably has to tie back to the tendency to people, please. But I feel like I always need a village of approval and I can hear my parents' um, criticisms of things that I want to do. 
that I feel like I am unable to trust myself. And this goes from everything from my everyday outfits to even like broad range political topics, because I feel so heavily influenced that until this day, Laura, I'm sitting here and trying to figure out my own opinion about things. And it is really hard to decipher through all the noise. And there are so many times, and I used to be one of those people who would get into the political debates on, on Facebook. I have long since stopped and grown up out of that because I realized it is literally the worst place to do that. But the, the biggest thing is that I remember being inundated with everybody else's comments. And that is how I would form an opinion because that's the, the, the generalized common feeling about something. And then there would be times afterwards where I think I'd be like, is that really what I think? I don't know anymore. And honestly, that's what made me stop getting into those topics is because I realized I didn't know where I stood. I didn't know really how I felt about things. And it's, it's this unable to trust what I think and being scared to put that out there. And not that I have to put it out there, but just that feeling of, am I right enough? Do I know enough to say something about this? And oftentimes the answer is, I don't know. And, and that was enough to convict me to say, you need to stop. Like you don't have to be involved in every single thing. Um, and for those that know me probably have seen that I have made a huge drop off of that whole side of myself. Yeah, I, I completely hear what you're saying. Like we, we want, oh, this is, this is so good. Okay, we want our kids to be confident, right? We yes. want to give them the freedom to have their own opinions. I'm, I'm also someone who's very opinionated and have also learned to maybe not put my opinions out. Um, but, you know, I think that one of the things, Moon and I were talking about this yesterday, is like, the more you know, the more you know how much you don't know. Oh, yes. Um, we are getting a little bit older. We're parents now and we're adults. And now all of the things in our youth that we were so, um, we just had such firm opinions on and such like solid footing about now we kind of see that the world is more spectrumized there's more mm. of a spectrum and that that maybe we need like you said to slow down first to make up our mind so I think we want to teach our kids both we we want to teach them to make up their minds we want to teach them to hear from different counselors but like you said that idea of like a village of approval that what we do even in our own lives like Sure, for big issues, maybe we need to take in some expert opinion, but like for what I'm going to do today, tomorrow, do I take this job? Do I not take this job? Do I apply at this school or at this school? We don't need everybody's opinion. We really need to slow down and, you know, make up our own minds. And I think that's something we need to teach our kids for sure. Yes. And I definitely have some really, even for the good or the bad, I have a very confident opinionated child who knows what she wants at all times even when it's wrong and I love that she feels so confident about how she feels about things even if I, it's hard for me to watch and I'm sure this is what my parents experienced with me if I'm being honest this is probably why it got to this point is they saw me very confidently making wrong choices that they were like, no, you need to stop and that's wrong. But instead of guiding me in how to make my choices, it was very much, I'm going to tell you what is right and what is wrong. And therefore you are going to do what is right. And that's that. And I think that that's where we have to draw that line of not killing that confidence, but also making them still understand there are consequences and there are, you know, the effects to your choices that there are things that will happen when you make these different choices. 
Yeah, I love that. Yes, we can walk them through instead, like thinking from a teacher mindset. We can walk them through how we got to our own decision. Mm. Yes, not with a very long lecture, but like by asking the right questions, like what will happen if you do this? You know, what, what's the consequence of choosing to hit Sally instead of talk to her about it? You know, like yes. helping them learn to think through their own opinions rather than just tell them what we think, which is hard. A hard okay. Feeling inadequate. Um, I just had this conversation with one of my friends last week where it was like, when is enough enough? Like, when am I enough? When is it enough? Um, I love that you brought that up. Why, why did you put that on the list, Madonna? You know, Laura, you and I have talked about this before because our parents walked a very specific path. Like you were talking about the, in the Asian community, how, you know, the medical degree is known A plus B equals C, you know, everyone knows exactly what to do. And I think that our parents, because they took such a large risk coming to this country and, and they saw what it was like to have so many things unknown, that they are so risk averse that they have, um, planned out our lives for us. They have said to us in more ways than one, this is the way that you guarantee a successful, peaceful, whatever kind of secure life. And because of that, anything else that is a deviation of that is inadequate. And so for me, what I struggled with is I always felt not smart and not successful because my path in life was very much not the one that everyone wants for their Egyptian <laughs> Coptic kids. It was not medical. It was not whatever. And I remember, you know, I, my strength was always creativity and thinking outside the box. It was not academics. I was not somebody who made straight A's despite what the entire Coptic community around me did. I was not a straight A student. And so I remember thinking that there was a dichotomy. You are either smart or you are creative, but you are not both. You, and if you spend all your time being creative, then that means you did not succeed in the smart department. It was not until I got older that I discovered that creativity is a smart. It is a type of smart. And so until now, though, I am fighting these feelings of inadequacy because I don't make a lot of money, because I don't do these, you know, um, very prominent uh, jobs with big titles. I don't have a PhD in my name, you know, of whatever sort. Um, and that's something that I feel like because of the path that I was supposed to take and did not take, that non-path path was considered a failure, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I like to think that we as a generation are doing a better job at this. It still surprises me when a kid like says, I'm going to be a doctor without like any thinking at all. Like clearly yes. didn't even think about it and just Consider like go straight it, yeah. into medicine, right? Or like let their parents decide without thinking it over. Um, and it's been really interesting watching my my friends who are in a medical degree struggle with whether that's what they really wanted for themselves or not. Of course they have buku bucks. And so that helps a little bit. Like you can change your mind after you've yes. been a doctor for a few years. That's totally okay. But um, yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting. Like, I think even now in our society, the concept of security has shifted a little bit. And I don't know. Um, I don't know that we can put those labels on things anymore, even from our own perspective. So but yeah. this ties in, Laura, to one of those things that uh, goes back to what we said before about people pleasing and just, um, you know, that that approval of a village. Because, again, whenever I would say I wanted to be a teacher, the response I got is, 
do you really want to sit at the table with your your doctor friends and be a teacher like does that sound like how would you feel about yourself if you're sitting here as like a measly teacher and everyone else is this high grand doctor and lawyer and whatever and I remember when I first moved and got my first teaching job and I moved to DC and I went out to eat with a bunch of people from church and Laura I almost cried because when I looked around that table, we had like government contractors, we had the lawyers and we had the military service people. And we had, I mean, it, computer engineers, the most diverse group of people I have ever seen in my life and being like, thank God I have found my people. I have found my, my non-doctor, non-whatever people. And, or there were doctors there, but I, we were all sitting at the same table. And I remember just thinking, look, mom, dad, like, it's fine. <laughs> Everybody's fine. <laughs> and I have friends and I'm not like ostracized and whatever. <laughs> yes. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Okay. Oh, the next one. Being dismissive of feelings. Yes. Tell me more about that one, Laura. This was on your list to begin with. You'll be okay. It's not a big deal. Uh, worst things have happened to others. Yeah, I think although in my family we were good at talking through feelings and things like that, we did we did talk about feelings a lot. But there was also this sense that like, why are you crying? There's this mm. is not something to cry about. Just like stop, okay, stop now. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like it it made it hard to verbalize when I was old enough to verbalize, if that makes sense. So like when you're young and you don't know how to use words and you're just crying and you're told not to cry, just don't cry. Then when it comes time to talk about the things you want to say, it becomes really hard to get those words together, you know? Yes. Yes. And I, and I think Laura, like I, I've seen this word passed around a lot recently and it was, it's called toxic positivity. Okay. <laughs> Which at the time when I heard this, I was kind of like, Oh, it's another one of these, you know, terms that everybody throws around these days, but I get it. So, and the idea is from our Christian background, it's God is in control. Everything happens for a reason. There's no reason to worry. Worrying is a sin. Okay. All very true. But at the same time, in somebody that's in the depth of sorrow or in the depth of a fear or anger or anxiety, that is the least helpful thing that you could do. And it doesn't help the person process their feelings. It comes from a good place. But I remember kind of like what you're saying, a lot of stop crying, stop whining, stop, you know, stop with whatever you're, you're feeling. Who cares? So what? It's not a big deal. And it was meant to be an encouragement. It was meant to be a positive thing like hey man, like it's really not that bad when you look at the big picture, which might be true at the time, but it gave us zero room to figure out what to do next. All it did was make us feel like we were overreacting, which could be true, but then I, I had no room to know where to go from here. It was just stop, suppress it, go on, things could be worse and you'll be fine. Um, and that's something that I struggle with not doing to my children because, um, I happen to have two very sensitive children who are very emotionally charged. And we talked about this briefly, Laura, whining is a huge trigger for us, right? So when I hear that screech in their voice, I lose it. Like I cannot handle it. Even if their concerns are very valid, that feeling of getting whined at makes me want to just be like, stop. I don't care what the problem is. Just go away with that noise that you're making. And so I have to be very cognizant about how I react to their big feelings. And it's something that I'm still working on. 
And I think the reason that I have to work so hard is because I did not receive these tools for myself to begin with. What about you? Yeah, I think this is something that I am, I'm doing a better, I hope I'm doing a better job at doing, which is like sitting down with them, talking through the feeling, figuring out where to go from here, giving it just an extra five or 10 minutes Mm. to process. It really doesn't take long when someone hears you out. You know, when someone like actually listens to your concerns or like lets you talk through them, it, it actually doesn't take that much extra time. It's not like, you know, I think that maybe the fear was, well, if we let them vent, then that's all they'll do all the time, you know? Yes. Um, on the other hand, I am, I, I am a big fan of stoicism as a concept. Like I do like the idea of like, you know, um, chin up, cheerio, like carry on that kind of like, okay, like this is, okay, this happened. We're going to keep moving forward. But I yes. think there's a difference between like, this happened. It does not matter. We're moving forward. And this happened. I'm so sad. And we're going to move forward. And that is a huge distinction, Laura. It's that idea of resiliency that you're teaching them. Like things happen. You're right. It does suck. And yeah, that's tough. And yeah, I mean, this is probably pretty bad, but there's nothing we're going to do to change it. So let's move on onward and upward. Like we got things to do. And, um, as my friend likes to say, she has to fight the knee jerk reaction of saying, suck it up, buttercup to her kids, you know, because there's so many things to them that are a big deal. And you're just kind of like, you're the adult that understands this really isn't a big deal. So you, you, like you said, you take that extra minute to be like, I'm sorry, this is really tough. I get it. Um, so now what, (laughs) like, let's move on, you know, what's the next thing we're going to do. And I do want to put a note in there because you said this, and I think we really need to highlight it, which is like you taking that moment for the things that don't matter to you, but do matter to them means later when they are bigger things, they will still bring them to you. So I think that's really important. Like you don't care that the head popped off the doll because you can just put it back on, but treat that with respect because the later when something bigger happens, they will want to come and talk to you about it. And that's one that I've definitely been working really, really hard on the slowing down, the taking a moment to acknowledge the feeling, but still teaching them it's okay. Like they can go hand in hand. Yeah. Okay. Laura, your next one kind of made me laugh. (laughs) Okay. So I wanted to throw a lighthearted one in there, but like something that really bothers me that I don't want to continue in the next generation. There is some positive, like positive aspect to it, but really overall, I don't ever want to have that fight again of who's going to pay. Like, I don't (laughs) like that fight. Like, I don't like fighting over the check. I don't like trying to like outsmart people with like, I'm going to the bathroom, pay that. Like, I I'm tired of it. I feel like it's a waste of time. And just, can I just pay for myself and you pay for yourself and we go on with our lives. (laughs) Yes. And I, and I was telling you, Laura, before we started recording, recording a couple of things. First of all, I am thankful to be living in a place where we don't really struggle with that. Most of the people that live around here are new, like they're second generation or first generation. They know this fight well, and they don't carry it on. So we have this process where somebody buys something and immediately the response is, how much was it? Okay, I'll Venmo you my share. That's awesome. But one of the ways that I really learned the hard way that that was not that this was a strong cultural thing and not an generalized world thing is when I went out to eat with my friends as a teenager. And it was like one of the first times I went out and I had been so used to seeing my parents doing the thing where they would fight over paying that I thought this was a universal truth. 
And I went out with my friends and we ate at this restaurant and this pizza restaurant, whatever. And everybody's meal with everything was something like $15, something like that. Pretty reasonable for the time. I go to get the check or we get the check. And I say like, guys, no, no, don't worry about it. I'm going to pay. And all my non-Egyptian friends that I was with very, very quickly said to me, wow, that's so nice of you. Thank you. And that was the end of the conversation. (laughs) And I remember being stunned and being like, what? No, this is not what you're supposed to do. And also thinking, crap, I don't have the money for this. I actually cannot pay for five people eating $15 a pop. My parents gave me like $20 to come out here. And so I was in this really tough situation where I was, I remember being like, oh no guys, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I tried to get out of it like in a really savvy way and just be like, no guys, don't worry about it. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Thank you. Um, yeah, maybe it's better if we just, you know, pay for ourselves. And I remember going home to my parents and being like, dude, like I almost got stuck with a big old bill because of the way you guys taught me to do things. You know, my problem actually is, is even like a little bit deeper. Okay. And it is this, I want to order what I want to order. And I don't want to be like, Oh boy, I shouldn't order this because if we get in the fight and they end up paying, it's so much more than what they picked. I'll be embarrassed. Like just, I want to, I want my sweet tea. I want my whatever side dish. Like I like my premium side dish or whatever. I don't want anyone to have any feelings about what I'm choosing to put yes. on my plate. You know, that's a really good point. And you know, Danny experienced this on his one of his international trips recently. They went out to eat with the coworkers, and um, they were planning to just kind of split the bill because everybody just like got a bunch of things together. And Danny was had to stand up and be like, no, because you guys all got all these alcoholic drinks that cost a ton of money and we each get stipends for being here. I'm not paying for your alcohol. <laughs> and he actually was he and God bless him. He does not carry the same sort of guilt that I do at all. He's just kind of like facts are facts. This is like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Whereas for me, I'd be like very reluctantly fine. Like I will pay for all of these things with you, even though my meal was like $10 and yours is each 50. Um, that's a, that's a tough one for sure. And yes, we don't want to continue that for as long as possible. Unless you are specifically trying to treat somebody that there's a difference. Yes. I want to say like, okay, I know I understand and love like the idea of being generous to each other. Maybe like it's somebody's birthday. We all cover that person that day or like occasionally, but when we reduce the pressure about it and like the fight about it, it becomes fun and not annoying. And I think that's important. Like generosity should be a pleasant thing. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. And so, Laura, your your last one um, is an interesting one as well. Uh, this idea of hoarding, you're going to have to elaborate on this one. <laughs> okay, I think this is perfect. It goes back to kind of our like last, last time's episode um, with Unclutter Your World. Um, I don't know, you tell me if you have this, but like, everything that we get or that we have or that we bought once upon a time could potentially be useful sometime in the future and it would be a shame to get rid of it you know i do not have this problem i have the opposite problem however this causes a lot of tension in my home because my husband is what you say Hmm. i'm one of those people who's like like close i used it like i'm ready to toss it out and or like most of it is gone. I don't care about the rest of it in the jar. I just want to get rid of it. So I throw out too much stuff and he sees it as wasteful. And these things could be useful or there is like 
containers that are good for putting stuff in. We can't throw that away. Yes. And I think very directly, I see that coming from his parents who have containers and containers of things. However, his, I really have yet to figure out how this is possible. His mother is the most organized, most everything's in its place. Everything is perfect. They have things from 45 years ago in mint condition kind of person. And yet they don't throw anything away. I don't, I have yet to figure this out. (laughs) You don't have trouble like with gifts, for example, if you get a gift that like, like a shirt that doesn't fit or like, you don't like feel guilty and keep it. Or like so clothing is a different story. Okay. So I'm thinking more like general clutter of things. The only thing that I think I really, really struggle with is craft supplies uh, because I can use an array of recycled materials to make anything that I want. And so I, I don't enjoy throwing away things that I could see potentially having a vision for. Um, but when it comes to clothing, that is one that I struggle with, but not because of sentimental value, but because of size. Maybe sentimental to my old size. That's what it is. <laughs> it's like, maybe one day I will go back to my size zero jeans. <laughs> I'm very funny. <laughs> no, mine is different. I like that. I mean, I'm actually, if it doesn't fit, I'm good about getting rid of it. But for me, it's like, I bought this, but I can never find an occasion to wear it. But one day I'll find an occasion to wear it. Oh yeah. I can One see day that. it'll work out. Yes. I, I you know, I don't struggle with that that much for me. I struggle with it for my kids, not because what I mean is I end up buying stuff that I think they'll use for a certain occasion. Um, and then I'm like, oh, they wore this when they were like one years old. They're so cute. I don't want to get rid of it yet. But even though it clearly doesn't fit them, I guess we struggle with it in different ways. Yeah. Well, I, we I do know that like I, I'm working on it with the kids, but I feel like like my son is like me. He wants to keep everything, everything, everything. Like every time he finishes a plastic package of chips, he wants to keep the container just in mm. case of a future, like you said, like a future possibility. Mm. My daughter, on the other hand, she's pretty good about organizing her things, but she's become inundated with gifts. She doesn't want to keep. And that feeling of guilt that someone gave me this. And so I can't get rid of it because someone gave it to me learning yeah. to like, let that go. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. I can understand that. Somebody spent time thinking about this. They spent their money. They gave it to me. Yeah, that one. But that's kind of sweet. I mean, that's like a good one. If you're going to have a hoarding problem, hoarding gifts is a good one. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see how that goes over the years. But anyway, okay. So I think that's our list. I'm sure you all have your own things as well. Yes. I, and I think it sounds like that a lot of these could be their own episodes just, you know, because they run so deep and they've gone on for so long, but I guess what we want to say is we want to encourage you that we're all figuring out the legacy that we want to leave for our kids. And while the journey is a lifelong one, there is still time to make it what you want because we're all here and we're still all learning. So God be with you as you figure this out. (laughs) Yes. And thank you all for joining us on raising up cops. We would love it if you rated this podcast and gave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. And also, if you have any feedback or any commentary, you can send it to us at raisingupcops at gmail.com. And with that being said, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. Raising Up Cops is a production of Coptic Dad and Mom. This podcast is hosted by Laura Michael and Madonna Lawindi. None of the views expressed during this recording are the official stance of the Coptic Orthodox Church or its hierarchy. These are our personal opinions, collective experiences, and organic discussions on selected topics. 
If you'd like to reach out with any questions or comments, you can reach us at raisingupcops at gmail.com.